Let's open the Word of God to John chapter 3. We just sang that the wonderful grace of Jesus reaches the most defiled and by its transforming power makes us God's dear child. That is the grace of regeneration taught in John chapter 3 by Jesus our Lord to Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. I read to you John chapter 3 verses 1 through 5. We'll read down through verse 8. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, Ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. Amen and amen. This is the doctrine of regeneration taught by Jesus our Lord to a ruler of the Jews about being born again, quickened from death in trespasses and sins, given life, spiritual life, eternal life, and made a living new creature in Christ Jesus. We have made our way into the middle of verse 3. And we want to start there in the middle of verse 3, which says to us from Jesus, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. This is an absolute necessity. By the word except, a man be born again. We must be born again, as Jesus will say in verse 7, Marvel not, don't be thinking naturally and be confused, think spiritually Ye must be born again. It's a rule of the religion of Jesus Christ. Born again. A crucial and profound event that's already been introduced by John in chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. This is the event. This is the work of God by which a rebel sinner becomes a child of God by nature. We have a new nature implanted within us sometimes in the New Testament called a new man versus the old man that is able to will and to do the good pleasure of God. We didn't have that before. We were dead in trespasses and sins, following the course of this world, obedient to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that works in the children of disobedience, and by nature, we were just like the children of wrath. We had the same nature as those going to hell. Those that will be under the wrath of God for eternity, we had their nature. But then we get a new nature by being born again 
The first birth gave us our human nature, depraved and corrupt because of Adam. And the second birth gives us a spiritual nature called the new man that loves the things of God. This transaction is a new spiritual nature that chooses and loves the things of God. And so you should be asking yourself with every statement that I make, do I love the things of God? Because that is the evidence that you are born again. Being born again gives us a new existence and life as a child of God with abilities, Godward, which we didn't have before. It gives us a new will that exists alongside our fleshly will, giving us in a measure free will. After we're born again, we can choose by the power of God to obey Him. It is a vital event. We look at some works of salvation taught in the Bible and we see that they were eternal events, such as election and predestination, because those took place before the world began back in eternity. We see legal events that took place in the cross of Calvary and with the resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ in which a legal price was paid for our redemption. That's a legal phase of salvation. But then we come to this phase, and it requires your existence. God could choose us and write our names in the book of life before the foundation of the world, like the Bible teaches, before we had personal existence. Jesus died on the cross for us before we had personal existence, because He died 2,000 years ago. But then in life, after we're born the first time, and we only have a corrupt human nature, we need to be born again to have a spiritual new man nature that is compatible with God, it is a son of God, and able to exist in heaven with Him forever. God will then later change our bodies. But we hear the gospel, which is the fourth phase of salvation, so that we hear the practical news, and we're able to obey in our lives what God expects of His children. And then the final phase of salvation is when we're glorified in heaven. How much power does it take for us to be a child of God? Resurrection power. Creation power. Creative power to give us a new man. It's being born again. And, And so forth and so on. And we've been over that the last couple of Sundays. When we look at these words, except a man be born again, and we focus on the words born again, There's a lot of confusion about that transaction, that event, that the nature of that particular change in us, and we want to make sure that we always understand it properly and defend it. This is one of the points in the Word of God that distinguishes us from other churches because we believe that this transaction, this work, this event in our lives is by the independent, sovereign, omnipotent power and choice of God without the cooperation or assistance of man. And that that separates us from others who think that they are involved in the process of getting a person born again. We deny. We deny that God must, we deny that to believe what the Bible teaches, that God must regenerate a man first before we can influence him at all in any direction toward God. Here are the ways in which we prove it. And we got to go through this very quickly. Number one, we start with the earlier doctrine in John's preamble. John opened this gospel with 18 verses that summarized the whole gospel. And in that summary, he said in verse 13, which were born. This is how you're born again. 
Not of blood, it's not racial, nor of the will of the flesh, it's nothing that your sinful man does, nor of the will of man, it is nothing that anyone else can do for you, but of God. That's how we're born again. Of God. By God. God does it. Just like verse 8 of chapter 3 tells us, everyone that is born of the Spirit of God, it's like the wind blows wherever it chooses to blow. You don't know where it's coming from. You don't know where it's going. But where it blows, there is an effect. And where the Spirit of God blows, there is an effect. Men are born again. But we start with John 1.13. Don't ever forget John 1.13. Don't let someone take you to John 3.3 without having explained to you John 1.13. Don't let them teach heresy from John 3.3 that you need to make a decision, you need to make a choice in order to be born again when John 1.13 says there is no choice involved except the choice of God. It's not the will of the flesh. You cannot will to be a child of God in your flesh and become of spirit. God needs to make you spirit first. That's the first step we take. And that 13th verse blows out most every heresy that is developed about being born again. Number two, we look at the word chosen by the Holy Spirit, and that's a birth. You didn't have a thing to do with your first birth. Jesus chose the word. You don't have anything to do with your second birth. You were totally passive in the first one. You are passive in the second one. Our third proof. We look at the other words chosen by the Holy Ghost in the Bible to describe this event. Like regenerate. To generate again. When you were generated the first time, it was outside of your control, influence, or approval. And so it is the second time. It's called a quickening in the Bible. In Ephesians chapter 2, and to quicken something is to make it alive. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. So it's called a resurrection in the Bible. It's called the first resurrection. It's called a new creation in Ephesians 2.10. These are words that require a supernatural divine act outside of your power and your passive under their performance. That's our third proof. Our fourth proof is we look at the condition of man before he's born again and he cannot help himself. Romans 3.18 says there is no fear of God before their eyes. Romans 3.11 says there is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. That is our condition. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. You can present the gospel ever so beautifully to a natural man. He will not receive it because it is spiritually discerned. It is foolishness to him. And the Bible repeats that over and over again. Why do ye not understand my speech? Jesus said to the Jews, Why do ye not understand my speech? Even because ye cannot hear my words. They could hear them audibly, naturally, humanly, but they couldn't hear them with spiritual discernment or perception. So the Bible tells us in a fourth category of proof that being born again is entirely a part of human cooperation. It, de- it, de- it describes man's condition prior to being born again as unable to cooperate with God in numerous places and ways. Number five, the Bible denies man's involvement by his will or his works. The Bible says, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. Then it says in the next verse, Romans nine sixteen. So then, it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. Amen. 
And so our fifth category is the Bible denies man's will. Number six, the plain statements of Scripture about the source or agent of being born again are always God. Number seven, regeneration is always part of the full operation of salvation that began with election and ends with glorification. And so if you don't believe in election and predestination, you're not even starting with the right foundation for the correct doctrine of regeneration. Number eight, we progress to the resulting ability obtained by the gift of a new spiritual man. It's only then that he can obey. It's only then that he can understand. It's only then that he can will, choose to do the good pleasure of God. Number nine, we progress to sample texts abused by some about being born again, and we find out that those verses do not teach that we are born again in any other way than what we're advocating and teaching right now. For instance, and this is such a simple one, for the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. 99% of pastors and Christians, when they quote Hebrews 4.12, they then want to raise this thing because they think that that verse is talking about this thing. Hebrews 4.12, for the Word of God is quick and powerful. Hebrews 4.12 is talking about the living Word, the Lord Jesus Christ, Amen. not the written Word. You've got to be born again by the living Word before the written Word will even land upon your senses to discern it and to believe it. It goes on to say in Hebrews 4.13, Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in His sight, but all things are naked and open under the eyes of Him with whom we have to do. Hebrews 4.12 is the Lord Jesus Christ. Number 10, we progress to examples of those born again by various proofs in the Bible without any means. Cornelius was born again before Peter ever got to him. There's a whole chapter in the Bible about an Italian and how he was born again with the power of God and how he was converted by Peter. Peter only converted him by an educational process of explaining the truth to him on what he should do to please God. But he was already born again because the Bible tells us in the first two verses of Acts 10 that he feared God with all his house he prayed to God always, and he gave alms to the people, and those prayers and those alms came up to God, which means that they were righteous acts. And more could be said about Cornelius, but we move on. Number 11, the category of proof. The purpose of the gospel was never intended to give life, but to bring life to light. Didn't we read that already? But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost then who is the gospel not hid to? Those that are saved. And that is what the rest of the New Testament teaches. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. We perceive in it and receive it as a message describing the power of God in saving us. Number 12. The ordinances of the New Testament were never given to assist with regeneration. And those two ordinances in this particular context are baptism and the Lord's Supper. They were never given to regenerate men. They were given for regenerated men to use symbolic acts to remember what God has done for them. Right. Number 13, everything is to God's glory. 
And if we get involved in the regenerative process, then it steals glory from God, but there is going to be no glory given to anyone else in heaven, but to the Lord God Himself and Him alone. Number 14, all notions that Jesus intended for Nicodemus to initiate himself or misinterpreting and misreading this passage. When Jesus said in verse 3, right here in front of us, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God, he is not telling Nicodemus to do something to get born again. He is just stating a fact of his religion. There is no discernment or perception of what's going on in the world right now without a man being born again. Number 15, are we to help others get born again? Is it our evangelistic duty to regenerate others? Not a chance. We cannot help. So even the question lacks spiritual intelligence and spiritual integrity. 16, decisional regeneration plus once saved, always saved has led to terrible heresies. As soon as you tell a person that all you have to do is sinner, repeat this prayer after me. And they repeat this little Mickey Mouse prayer that is not found anywhere in the Bible. And then you tell them you're saved. And no matter how you live, you're saved. No matter what you do the rest of your life, you're saved. And heaven is is assured for you. That's a terrible heresy. And it's led to the corruption in churches by promising people eternal life that they do not have. Number 17. We divide and separate regeneration from conversion as two very different things. God regenerates and we are supposed to work at converting men. Regeneration is the giving of life. Conversion is the educational process of changing and growing in your life. We're involved in the latter. Only God's involved in the former. We love how the book of James closes itself out of the last two verses of James chapter 5. My brethren, if any of you do err from the truth and one convert him, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. And the book is over. The epistle is ended with those two verses. Using the word convert twice. And what does the word convert in its context mean? To bring a person back from error to the truth. And that is what we do. That is why we preach. We don't preach to get men regenerated. God must regenerate men. But then we look and seek for those regenerated men to show them the truth of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ so that they can believe it and embrace it for the assurance of their souls and for the direction of their lives. And many more other things could be said. The most important thing we want to do is prove that we're born again. By believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, that's the evidence of being born again. Of loving the brethren, especially the least of his brethren. That's the evidence of eternal life. Of doing righteousness, that's the character of God. Of not sinning habitually, for the regenerate seed will not do so if you're born again. Of choosing and doing God's pleasure, as the Bible defines it. That's the evidence of being born again. We want to prove that we're born again. We want to act like the children of God. We want to live like we're the sons of God in this world. Except a man be born again, he cannot see. He can't perceive, he can't discern things that are going on around him. Notice, there is a man sitting in front of Nicodemus. The man Christ Jesus. And Jesus said, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. 
We know that thou art a man come from God, because no man can do these miracles except God be with him. There was more than just a man come from God sitting in front of Nicodemus. There was the Son of God, the High King of Heaven, the blessed and only potentate, the Lord of Lords and King of Kings, forever and ever sitting in front of Nicodemus. But you can't see it unless you're born again. No one else was able to perceive it unless you're born again. Lord, help us. You know, in John chapter 1 and verse 5, we were already introduced to the depravity of man and his inability to see even light. John 1, 5. And the light shineth in darkness. This is speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ in verse 4. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. In verse 5, the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Showing right there the inability of natural man to perceive and see the light of the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. That eternal life that was with the Father and was now on earth. Jesus taught in prayer about God hiding and revealing truth. He hides truth from the wise and prudent. That is those who think they are wise and prudent. That is those who the world esteems as wise and prudent. But he reveals his son to babes. And so we're happy to be the babes of God today. We're happy to be his simple little ones that he reveals truth to. Men varied greatly on how they viewed the miracles of Jesus. Some saw the miracles of Jesus and said, Jesus does those miracles by the power of Beelzebub, the prince of the devils. Others said, like Nicodemus, no man could do these miracles except God be with him. The natural man cannot see unless the Lord reveals things to him. And the way that he has to start revealing them to him is to regenerate him. Because when he's not regenerated, the things of the Spirit of God are foolishness to him. When Peter said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus immediately responded and said, Flesh and blood hath not revealed that unto thee, Peter, but my Father which is in heaven. That is a divine revelation that a man would not be able to perceive or understand unless God gave it to them. And so except a man be born again, he cannot see. He's blind. He is spiritually blind. His two eyes may be 20-20 or better. He may be an Air Force pilot with excellent vision. He may have fantastic peripheral vision. But he cannot see, perceive, and discern, understand, and grasp, and see the depth of spiritual truth. It's all foolishness to him. It's ridiculous to him. He doesn't believe it because he's not born again. And except a man be born again, he cannot see. I read to you this morning from 2 Corinthians 4 that those things are hidden by the God of this world, the devil himself. Jesus criticized the Jews for being able to discern the weather. Red sky at night, sailors delight. We've known this for thousands of years. The Jews knew it. Jesus told them that they knew it. Red sky in the morning, sailors take warning. A red sky and a lowering sky at night means there's going to be good weather tomorrow. A red sky like that in the morning, and you should take warning because there's going to be bad weather that day. And that is a true observation, and Jesus granted it truth. But He said you can discern, you can discern weather coming, but you can't figure out that the kingdom of God is upon you and among you and around you, this is why we must be born again. 
or we'd be on a golf course this morning, or we'd be watching cartoons this morning, or we'd be picking marshmallows out of our fruit loops this morning instead of being in the house of God. Thank you, Lord. The seeing eye and the hearing ear, the Lord God hath made even both of them. Proverbs 20 and verse 12. The kingdom of God doesn't come with physical observation. It comes with spiritual observation. What will you show a man before being born again in order to get him to be born again? Will you show him John 3.16 and tell about heaven and hell? He can't get it. If he responds to you, it's all a farce. And you started the farce by talking to a man that's not born again. You say, well, how do I know if they're born again? Because they're seeking after God and there's a fear of God in them. Is that easy enough for you? When the Bible says there is no fear of God before their eyes and you find a person that has some fear of God, guess what? Is this too deep? If there is no fear of God before the eyes of a man not born again, and you find a man that does have some fear of God and is seeking after God, what does that tell you? He's born again. We're interested. Oh yeah. Would you like to have lunch today at the office because you found someone that you can talk to? When Paul, the greatest evangelist the world has ever seen, Billy Graham is not an evangelist. He's a heretic. I'm sorry. There isn't a single name in the book of life because of Billy Graham. There isn't a single name in the book of life because of the Apostle Paul. Every name in the book of life is because of the Lord Jesus Christ by the will and choice of God according to the good pleasure of His own will. The Apostle Paul, the greatest evangelist ever, When he went into any city, we're told in Acts chapter 17 what his manner of evangelism was. We are told his methods. He says so by Luke's words in Acts 17. When he would go into a city, would he go to the jails? No. Would he go to the brothels or houses of prostitution? No. Would he go to a football stadium and hold up a placard in the end zone? No. Would he go to the shopping malls? No. Would he hand out tracts at the gas station at QT? No. What did he do? He would look up in the yellow pages and find out where the synagogue was. And he would go into the synagogue. Because who was in the synagogue? Anyone in that city that feared God. If they feared gods, they were at other temples. He wasn't interested. If they feared a monotheistic God named Jehovah, they were at the synagogue, whether they were Jews or Gentiles, because they were Gentile proselytes. That is what the Bible teaches. That was his method. He would go to the synagogue. If he was in a place where there wasn't a synagogue, he would ask, what do people do that fear the God of the Jews? And they would say, they go out beside a riverside where prayer is wont to be made. And so he would go out to the riverside where prayer was wont to be made in Acts chapter 16 in the capital of Macedonia, named after Philip, the father of Alexander, Philippi. So he goes to a riverside and there are women that are gathered there and he preaches Jesus Christ to them and they believed. Because God opened the heart of Lydia that she would believe. Oh, this is not hard. 
Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Let's work on this last little phrase of uh, of verse 3 for a few minutes. Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Do you know who was sitting in front of Nicodemus? The king of the kingdom. The king of the kingdom was sitting in front of Nicodemus. A kingdom is the domain of a king. His royal monarchy reign over things. Nicodemus did not ask Jesus about going to heaven. So we don't assume that we're talking about heaven here. There is another kingdom that is much more real in the New Testament Gospels than heaven. It's a kingdom that was already there. It's a kingdom that men were already seeing and pressing into. It's a kingdom that men were already entering into. It's a kingdom that men were taking by force. It's a kingdom that men were taking by violence. It was a kingdom about to be taken away from the Jews and given to the Gentiles. It was the reign of the son of David over a spiritual kingdom of God's children, angels and everything on earth and in heaven. The family of God plus angels. The church only in The general assembly which is above, not a local church. Local churches are only subsets of this great kingdom. More on that in a moment. Let's, Let's grasp what had happened in the few days leading up to Nicodemus sitting down with Jesus. A verse that I cannot talk about this subject unless we look at it is Daniel chapter 2. And you may just want to listen to me here. Nebuchadnezzar has seen this great image that showed by different metals in this image four kingdoms. This is world history in advance. Daniel 2 was phenomenal. Nebuchadnezzar had a vision that troubled him greatly. Daniel explained it to him and gave him a brief view of world history to come. There was a head of gold. That was the Babylonian, Chaldean government that Nebuchadnezzar was the king of. Then after that were the Persians. And so they were made of silver. And that was Cyrus and Darius the Mede. And then there was Alexander the Great, the brass belly. And then there were legs of iron and clay being the Roman Empire. So it was Babylon, it was Persia, it was Greece, it was Rome. And then this stone... Daniel saw this stone cut out of a mountain without hands. It wasn't cut out by human device. God cut it out, and this stone smashed the image in the feet, and all parts of it flew away, and this little stone grew until it filled the whole earth. And that's the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when did it arrive? It arrived in the days of John and Jesus. Many of us grew up believing a system of prophetic interpretation that the kingdom of God will not come until after Jesus comes the second time. The kingdom came at the first coming of Jesus Christ. And we're going to show that to you with a sufficient proof, I hope. And if it's not good enough, then tap the seven pages that are single-spaced that will be on the website. But let's consider it for a few minutes about the kingdom that you cannot see unless you're born again. Now I want to tell you, when we start talking about the kingdom of God and reading some of these verses, you ought to get goosebumps on the back of your neck. 
Because we are dealing with the most powerful government in the history of the universe, which shall never be destroyed, but it shall have dominion over all other governments. And it has a king sitting on its throne right now at this hour, the son of David, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's our brother. He's our friend. He's our savior. He's not ashamed to call us brethren. We're joint heirs with him of everything in the inheritance of God. In Daniel chapter 2, Daniel explained to Nebuchadnezzar what those four different medals meant about the four empires that would be in the world before the coming of the fifth empire, the fifth kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he summarized it this way in Daniel 2.44. And in the days of these kings, do you know that the Roman Empire ceased to exist in 476 A.D.? In the days of these kings, the combined empires of Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome, in the days of these kings, shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom, which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. I love that verse. Daniel 2.44. Okay, Zach, I'm finally, I'm finally heated up. Hallelujah! Amen. Daniel 2.44 In the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom. If the God of heaven sets up a kingdom, what is it called? The kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. That is a deep thought. When the God of heaven sets up a kingdom, no wonder in the New Testament Gospels we refer to it as described as the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. The dispensationalists, Schofieldites, and others come along and tell us that the kingdom of heaven is different from the kingdom of God, but we'll prove that wrong in a few minutes, Lord willing. Back to John chapter 3. If you're not born again, you can't see this kingdom. Nicodemus didn't ask about heaven. Nicodemus had made an observation that no man can do these miracles except God be with him. Do you know what Jesus said about someone recognizing that? Jesus said in Luke chapter 11 and verse 20, If I with the finger of God cast out devils, no doubt the kingdom of God has come upon you. Do you you understand what we're dealing with? There's only three mentions of kingdom in the gospel of John. Many, many, many more in Matthew. But only three in John. Two are right here. One in verse 3, one in verse 5. And then in chapter 18, when Pilate asked Jesus, Art thou a king? You bet I am. But my kingdom is not of this world. Because my kingdom is a spiritual world. It's not like, it's a spiritual kingdom. It's not like your kingdom. If my kingdom was like your kingdom, my servants would fight. But my kingdom isn't like your kingdom because it's not from hence. It's not an earthly, physical, civil kingdom like yours. So we're not fighting and we're no threat to Caesar. But yes, I am a king. Was he convincing at all in his defense? I believe that Pilate wrote in three languages to put on the cross, even though the Jews told him, don't you write that. You should write, he said he was the king of the Jews. Pilate said, what I have written, I have written. The king of the Jews in three languages. You bet he was. He was king king of more than that, too. Right. But he started out that way. Lord, we love, we love to read about the, 
the rule and reign of the Lord Jesus Christ and His kingship. He's, he's Lord and Christ. He's Lord as a sovereign ruler, and He's Christ as the Messiah and Savior of His people. Look at Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3. And let's go back and get the first occurrences of this word as they pop up in the New Testament. Because Daniel said, In the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom. Well, those kings were in place when Jesus and John were born and when they turned 30 years of age. So it says in Matthew 3, 2, let's get verse 1 so we have a context for it. In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is 2,000 years away after Jesus comes the second time. Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Chapter 4, after Jesus is baptized, tempted by the devil for 40 days and 40 nights, he enters upon his ministry, and what kind of a gospel do you think he preached? Was it similar to his cousin? 4.17, Matthew 4.17, From that time Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The same gospel. The kingdom was right there, but they couldn't perceive it. They couldn't discern it. They didn't understand what was taking place, though they had dated and timed prophecies from the book of Daniel that should have told them, but there were some that did know. Oh yes, all you got to do is go to Luke 2. Now I'm not going to turn you to Luke 2, because you were supposed to have read that yesterday. In In your reading of Luke 2 yesterday, you ran into some that were in Jerusalem waiting for the redemption to draw nigh, because a Messiah and a King was coming to deliver them. If you read it yesterday... Now let's go look at Luke 3, because maybe you haven't read that one yet, because it's for today. Luke chapter 3. What I'm referring to, for anyone that doesn't know, is our simple one chapter a day Bible reading program that will take you from Genesis to Revelation and keep you out of those sections that will discourage you and keep you from reading the Word of God unless you have great personal discipline. Luke chapter 3. I love this verse. Verse 1 of chapter 3, written by Luke the beloved physician, Now in the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar. What empire was that man of? The Roman Empire. Now in the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip tetrarch of Iteria, and of the region of Trachonitis, and Lysanias the tetrarch of Abilene, Annas and Caiaphas being the high priests, The word of God came unto John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. And he came into all the country about Jordan, preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. And what did it sound like? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's what it sounded like. But notice, it's it's in the 15th year of Tiberius Caesar. Very specifically pointed out that we are down on the legs of that great image that Nebuchadnezzar saw and the accumulated empires of those four empires, John and Jesus are about to deal it a blow because a stone is being cut out without hands. There's no human involvement in this king and kingdom that are coming. It is set up by the God of heaven. Look at Matthew eleven twelve. It was there. John and Jesus announced it. Men began repenting, being baptized, and entering it. 
How'd you get into it? Repent and be baptized. Repent and be baptized. What do those things what do, what do those two things declare about you? You are declaring your way wrong, and you're swearing allegiance to the God of heaven and his son Jesus Christ that their rules are what you'll live by the rest of your life. Repenting of all your ways, repenting of all your ideas, and being baptized by repentance, declaring the righteousness of God, and vindicating him and declaring him to be just in all that he expects out of you. Matthew 11, verse 12. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force. How could the, how could the violent take the kingdom of heaven unless the kingdom of heaven was there to take? Because it was there. And it was entered by repentance and baptism. And when did it start? The days of John the Baptist and until now. The kingdom of heaven suffereth violence. What kind of violence? Men repenting and changing their lives to press their way into it. Luke's version of this verse, if you're confused by these words, Luke's version is this. The law and the prophets were until John. Since that, Luke 16, 16. If you want to write, do you have it as a cross-reference? Luke 16, 16, the law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God is preached, and every man presseth into it. So you've got pressing into it. Here you've got the violent taking it by force. Let me give you an example. Was there a man named Zacchaeus? Did he do something very violent? Did he take the kingdom by force? Did Jesus declare of him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man is a child of Israel. Did, did Jesus say that? What did he do? He popped out of that sycamore tree with all five feet, two inches of his frame because he couldn't see Jesus. And he hears the crowd murmuring about this publican that was a traitor to the nation because they worked for Rome collecting taxes. That's what a publican was. And Nicodem- uh, Zacchaeus said, Lord, if I've wronged any man, I'll restore fourfold. And I will give, sell half of my goods to give to the poor this day. and gee, that, That's violent. That is just a violent reaction to meeting Jesus and pressing into the kingdom. Look at Matthew chapter 21. You know, brethren, if we were to look at every verse, we'd be in serious trouble about the kingdom, especially Matthew. Matthew 21, verse 31. Jesus has just described two sons. One son said, I will not, but afterward he repented and went. That's a good son. Another son said, I go, sir, but never went. Those are the Pharisees. Verse 31, whether of them, whether of these two boys, these two sons, whether of them twain did the will of his father, they say unto him, the first. Jesus saith unto them, verily I say unto you, that the publicans and the harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. They start their lives out bad by being prostitutes, but they end up good by going into the kingdom. I will not. They say at their first, at, the, at God's first revelations to them, I will not. But then they end up and go, and repentance makes all the difference. Then there are others that grow up in fine Christian homes and go to seminary, and they never, they never enter into the kingdom of heaven because they never repent. This is the the lesson that Jesus is drawing. So in verse 31, 
Verily I say unto you, that the publicans and the harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came unto you in the way of righteousness, and ye believed him not. But the publicans and the harlots believed him, and ye, when ye had seen it, repented not afterward that ye might believe him. John's ministry was such a divisive thing in the nation of Israel. The publicans and the harlots believed him, they repented, and they entered the kingdom. The Pharisees and the Sadducees and the others would not humble themselves like the publicans and the harlots, and they rejected the counsel of God against themselves. Look at Luke chapter 7, verses 28 and 29, for me to back up those last words I just used. The publicans and the harlots went right on into the kingdom. Lord, thank you for showing us so much. Thank you for regenerating us. That we see your kingdom, we see your king, and we want to submit to its rules. Luke chapter 7, verse 28. And I say unto you, Jesus speaking, among those that are born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist, but he that is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. And all the people that heard him and the publicans justified God being baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and lawyers rejected the counsel of God against themselves, being not baptized of Him. This is submitting and giving allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ and to God. By baptism and repentance, not in that order, you declare God just, that He's righteous, and everything He says that condemns your life is right, and that you're wrong, and that you will now live by His sovereign rules, His rules of government. His kingdom rules over your life. And this verse goes with Matthew 21, 31, and 32. This is how they entered the kingdom. is to repent, justify God, and declare Him righteous, and into the kingdom they went. Look at Luke eleven fifty-two. 52. There's so many verses we could look at. It's a very difficult subject to preach without taking weeks. Luke 11. In verse 52, watch this verse. Woe unto you lawyers! Exclamation point. Woe unto you lawyers! These were lawyers in the word of God, arguing and debating about, nitpicking about words, rather than submitting to the righteousness of God taught there. Woe unto you lawyers, for ye have taken away the key of knowledge. Ye entered not in yourselves, and them that were entering in, ye hindered. False teachers, by corrupting the word of God, do not go into the kingdom themselves, but they keep others from going into that kingdom by corrupting the word of God. This is the, this is the, these are the times of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what he had to deal with. With lawyers and Sadducees and Pharisees and Levites and priests and Herodians and others keeping people from the kingdom of God out of the out of obeying and being baptized because they were stealing the key of knowledge that opened the door into the kingdom. We want to fling its doors open and declare the word of God in truth and without dishonesty and without deceitfulness and not handling the word of God in a corrupt way, making the gospel manifest to every man's conscience that they'll embrace it and believe it and submit to it and humble themselves and be baptized and come running into the kingdom of heaven. 
The kingdom of God came in successive waves of power and illustration. Look at Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9. If they'd have just opened their eyes, if they'd have opened their ears, what are the first words declared by John and Jesus? We've already been there. Matthew 3, 2. Matthew 4, 17. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. All they had to do was listen. The kingdom is at hand. All they had to do was look at the timed prophecy of Daniel 9. There were 483 years until Messiah the Messiah the Prince. A dated prophecy. Daniel chapter 9. The 70 weeks prophecy. After 69 weeks or 483 years, Messiah the Prince was going to burst upon the scene. And he burst upon the scene. And John the Baptist identified him as the Messiah. There's one coming after me that is going to baptize this nation with fire. Because he burned that nation up. It was a fantastic message. All they had to do was listen. All they had to do was look. Because Jesus said, if I with the finger of God am casting out devils, then no doubt the kingdom of God is among you, is upon you. Luke chapter 11 and verse 20. But oh, Mark chapter 9 tells us that it's going to come with greater power. Look what it says here, Mark chapter 9 and verse 1. And he said unto them, Jesus said unto them in Mark 9, 1, Verily I say unto you that there be some of them that stand here which shall not taste of death till they have seen the kingdom of God come with power. It's coming, it was coming in successive wages, I mean successive waves of greater and greater power and demonstration of its power. To have Jesus performing miracles, to have Jesus baptized in Jordan, and the Holy Ghost descend upon him in the form of a dove, that was power. To be casting out devils by the finger of God, that was power. All those miracles, that was incredible power by the Lord Jesus Christ. But there was more power to be coming. There was resurrection power when he hung on the cross. That's not here. That's not this verse because nobody died between this verse and Jesus hanging on the cross. And this says that there be some of you standing here that shall not taste of death, meaning that the majority of the crowd around Jesus at this statement died before this was fulfilled. But when Jesus died on the cross, the sun was dark for three hours. The veil in the temple was rent from top to bottom. And it took a team of horses to put that thing into place. There were no men that tore that thing in half. Jesus rose from the dead. There was an earthquake. There were rocks torn. Dead saints got up out of their graves when Jesus rose from the dead and came into Jerusalem. Who's there? Noah? Who? Noah. Get lost. Saints came up. Tremendous power. But there's still more power coming. Look at Mark 9.1. Let me read it again. There be some of them that stand here which shall not taste of death till they have seen the kingdom of God come with power. How long would it take for the majority of a crowd standing around Jesus to be dead and only some of them still alive? About 40 years. What happened about 40 years later? The Lord Jesus Christ came in vengeance upon the nation of Israel and destroyed them. He described it throughout these Gospels. Paul talked about it in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 as it being about immediately to fall upon them when he wrote in 60 AD. Hebrews talks about it as you see the day approaching in Hebrews 10.25. 
the, the kingdom of God came with a greater display of power showing that Jesus was king. Because remember when he was on earth, he was in a state of humility, which means that the rulers of the Jews could abuse him like they did. They could blindfold him by the Roman soldiers and smash his face. But 40 years later, when he came in 70 AD, they ate their children. They had said, let his blood be upon us and on our children, and it was. And that city was leveled to the ground. That temple was torn down to the ground. They uprooted the foundations of it because the melting gold had run down into the foundation stones. They tore that thing up. And a centurion of the 12th legion drew a plow across the top of Mount Mount Moriah where that temple stood and destroyed that place. Jesus said there won't be two stones left attached to each other. And there weren't because it was a financial incentive for the Romans to tear every stone apart. There was a great tribulation in that city like the world had never seen. But the Christians had fled that city and had gone to the mountains just like Jesus had told them. Praise His glorious name. He's King of kings and Lord of lords. And He came with power. You know, we can't apply... Mark 9.1 to the day of Pentecost because no one died between Mark 9.1 and Pentecost. But between Mark 9.1 and the destruction of Jerusalem, the majority of the crowd would have died because Jesus would have been speaking to adults that were already above the age of 30. At a minimum. This is just an example. What, what kind of a gospel did Paul preach? Look at Acts chapter 19. Do you think Paul preached the same thing? Or did Paul come up with something new? Do you know what the dispensationalists tell us? That Jesus Jesus tried to give his kingdom to the Jews and they didn't want it, so he stuck in the church age for 2,000 years. They make me sick. And a whole lot worse than that. But mark your calendars. Acts chapter 19, verse 8. I don't want 19 yet. Let's Let's go back to 8 and see what Philip preached. What do you think Philip preached? What do you think a deacon did when he was unleashed upon the city of Samaria? Now, you know a little bit about these deacons, don't you? That they were men full of the Holy Ghost. Remember Acts chapter 6? These men were full of the Holy Ghost. I'll, I'll tell you what he preached. Verse 12. But when they believed Philip, preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ... They were baptized, both men and women. Isn't that wonderful? There's Philip the deacon, full of the Holy Ghost, preaching the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ because they go hand in hand because the king of the kingdom is the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know what we had to grow up hearing? We had to grow up hearing that there wasn't a king and that Jesus was this long-haired hermaphrodite that stood and begged at doors instead of the son of David sitting on his throne at God's right hand who had come in 70 AD and proven that he was a king by destroying the Jews. And then he destroyed the Romans in 476 AD. And then he dashed the nations in pieces so that a geopolitical map of the the world today or a globe of the world today shows it's 300 to 400 nations, all these little fragments. There hasn't been an empire since. But there is one right now and we're part of it. But we weren't taught that. You know what? Do you know how exciting baptism gets when you realize that you take upon you, sort in these words, an oath of allegiance to the king, that you're going to live for him for the rest of your life, and that you're thanking God for sending that king to deliver you from death, sin, hell, and the devil? Right. 
What a wonderful salvation. What a wonderful gospel. But nobody can see it unless they're born again. You can't see it unless you're born again. Because if this gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. Acts 8.12 But when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God, what would he preach? God has set up a kingdom just like Daniel prophesied and the prophesied son of David is here. He rose from the dead. He's been seen by above 500 brethren at once. He's sitting at the right hand of God. He's coming again to judge this earth. Repent and be baptized and fling yourself into His kingdom. 19.8 And we've got to close here for our break. 19.8 19.8 Did I hear Cool. Okay, I agree. Acts 19.8 And he went into the synagogue and spake boldly for the space of three months, disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. He wasn't talking about some millennial kingdom. He was talking about a kingdom that was right there present, and he was representing as an ambassador the high king of heaven, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's 19.8. Look at 20 and 25. Chapter 20 and verse 25. And now behold, I know that ye all, speaking to the elders of the church at Ephesus, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God. Acts 20 and verse 25. Look at Acts 28. Paul's in his rented house in Rome. He calls together the leadership of the Jews in the city of Rome. And here's what he has to say to them. Acts 28 and verse 23. And when they had appointed him a day, there came many to him into his lodging, to whom he expounded and testified the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus, both out of the law of Moses and out of the prophets, from morning till evening. Oh, brethren, can you think of a better place than to have been in that rental house and to have heard Paul from morning till evening persuading them out of the law of Moses and out of the prophets about the kingdom of God and the Lord Jesus Christ? I cannot think except to serve the Lord Jesus Christ right here and now. And verse 31, the last verse of the Acts of the Apostles. Let's get 30. And Paul dwelt two whole years in his own hired house and received all that came in unto him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching those things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no man forbidding him. And amen.